the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guests Laura Frederick and Jane Cahook. A round of Legal Toolkit trivia. And you know what? Last episode we put on a concert. A freaking concert! I've earned an episode off from writing jokes. So screw it. Here's your host, Jared Correa. Aw, oh, hell yes, the Legal Toolkit. So let's start rearranging the deck chairs. And yes, it's still called Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I returned the shingle fro my wife bought me for Christmas. I'm your host, Jared Korea. Alfonso Ribeiro was unavailable because he pulled a hamstring doing the Carlton dance. Sucks to get old, man. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Laura Frederick, the founder and president of How to Contract about, um, how to contract, I guess, I want to take a moment to discuss Bluey. Like many children of the 80s, TV was a hell of a babysitter for me, but that's only because we didn't have Netflix. When the pandemic hit and every parent was like, screen time? Fuck it. My kids started watching a lot more TV than they ever had before. I mean, Netflix. That's not great in a lot of ways, but we did at least discover an Australian cartoon called Bluey. Now, uh, if you're a regular listener of this show, you'll know that I recently named my favorite TV show from when I was a kid. That was Quantum Leap. And like two weeks later, it was announced that that show was going to be rebooted. Coincidence? I'd like to think not. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, Jared, what's your favorite TV show right now? I'm so glad you asked because I want to tell you. So I can tell you that the best show on television right now is Bluey. Shit, I mean on Netflix. No, wait, Disney Plus. In case you were not aware, Australian children's television is actually pretty amazing, and my kids love it. Little Lunch is a show that is like an elementary school version of The Office. It's hilarious. The Investigators is a great kids mystery show by the same production team. I mean, you could even say that Rocco's Modern Life is kind of an Australian TV show, since Rocco's a wallaby. Uh, But Bluey tastes cake. I'll be honest with you, I can watch Bluey by myself. It's legitimately hilarious. Uh, it's about a family of anthropomorphic blue healer dogs. There's a dad and mom, Chili, and two daughters, Bluey, the title character, and Bingo. Yes, they have dog names. Bluey is probably six, Bingo's probably four, and Bandit is essentially my spirit animal. We're both annoying, flatulent, and yet, despite all that, somehow quite endearing. I even have a Bandit t-shirt. Bluey's probably the most down-to-earth children's show I've ever watched. There's no pretension whatsoever. It focuses on imaginative play, and the characters act like modern parents and children act. Oh, what a novel concept, right? Every single episode of Bluey is relatable for young families. For real, anything in this show could happen in my own life literally any day. But whether or not you have a young family is still a super enjoyable watch. Shows won a slew of awards. The theme song is really catchy, and the family dances in the opening credits with everybody getting a solo highlight. 
Episodes are seven minutes apiece to match the modern attention span. And there are also ancillary characters that are amazing, uh, like Norm from Cheers, right? There's hapless next-door neighbor Lucky's dad, fitness fiend Wendy, and crazy cousin Muffin. Now, some Bluey episode highlights may provide some further context for you here. The children are obsessed with taking pictures of their parents' bums in the episode Born Yesterday. Bandit, however, says he's not stupid enough to expose his rear end to the children because he wasn't born yesterday, which sparks an idea because Bluey and Bingo have never heard this expression, born yesterday. So they say, hey, Dad, can you actually pretend that you were born yesterday? So he starts talking to a stool and talking to people at the bus stop about the sun, the fiery thing in the sky, hilarity ensues. But along the way, Bandit rediscovers the joys of nature. And yes, as you might have guessed, there's always a lesson at the end of every Bluey episode. In the episode Fairy Tale, the last episode of season three, the kids ask Bandit to tell a fairy tale. So he talks about what it was like to be a kid in the 80s. Every time they're shocked by his engaging in what appears to be highly dangerous behavior, he says, it was the 80s. Isn't that right? At the end of the episode, he even meets his future wife. Well, maybe. You'll have to watch to find out. In the episode Hammer Barn, which is like a fake Home Depot-type store that they invented for this show, Chili takes the girls to the hardware store, and they're fighting about everything, and they end up breaking a garden gnome. Uh, long story short, the garden gnome was Bingo's imaginary husband named Hecuba. Hecuba so loved cheeseburgers. Eventually, Chili tells the girls that there's no magic land where everything is happy and free. And, of course, then they discover paint samples. Unicorn is an obnoxious unicorn who interrupts story time and whose favorite food is children. Sean is an obdurate emu, played by Bandit's right hand, who misbehaves all over the neighborhood. And in swim school, Bluey is an obnoxious swim instructor who encourages dobbing. And look, if you don't know what dobbing is, I'm not going to tell you. You just need to watch more Australian TV. Start with Bluey. It's brilliant. You can catch seasons one and two on Disney+. Plus. And yes, I know I talk a lot about Disney+, Plus, but I can't fucking help it if Disney owns everything. Season three is available in Australia, but not in the U.S. yet. But you might want to check YouTube for season three episodes. I'm just saying, though, you didn't hear that from me. But now let's hear from Joshua Lennon. That's correct. It's time for the Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. Then come back and we'll talk to Laura Frederick from How to Contract. Did you know that 66% of consumers consider online payments their top choice when paying for legal services? I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. If you're still only accepting checks by mail, you may want to reconsider. Online payments are helping lawyers introduce greater flexibility and convenience to clients. In fact, in addition to online payments, preference for automated payments and ones made through mobile apps outranks mailed-in checks by 13%. And here's what's in it for you. We found that firms using online payments collect as much as 16% more revenue per lawyer. To learn more about the impact of online payment technology on law firms, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. 
So let's cut into this Pashka. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today is Laura Frederick. She's the founder and president of How to Contract. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You've got this business where you got two things going on, right? You're an actual real-life contracts attorney. You still do that. But you also decided to create this learning platform for other attorneys to improve their contract drafting. So whenever I have founders on the show, I like to ask them about their journey. So how did you decide that you wanted to launch a company like this and continue to practice? Yeah, I think I decided to do it because there really was that need that was unmet. And I was so frustrated whenever I looked around and saw nobody was really documenting how we actually do our jobs when we do our contracts lawyers, what you draft, what you don't draft. And so I'd known about that need for a long time. And then as I got to a point in my legal practice, I'm my own boss. I have some bandwidth and choices about what I'm going to do with my day. And I decided it was time to try and start documenting some of that and create this side business. But it really came out of that place of wanting to help others. And I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but it really was uh, wanting to serve a need that was unmet. I've never heard an attorney who hasn't used that, right? Like attorneys get a lot of flack, but every attorney I've talked to is like, I just want to help people. And I think it's largely true. Now you were like, you were posting tips online, right? And then people were into that and you were like, hey, this might be a business. That was kind of the idea behind starting this, right? Yeah, it started with, I started a 30-day challenge on LinkedIn to post every day back in August 2020. And I thought, Sounds painful. No, go ahead. I know, exactly. And I thought when I started, I really only used it to post like congratulations to people in my network I knew who changed jobs or did something new. So I posted, basically I'd had a bunch of messed up negotiations recently where the counterparty's lawyer was saying things that were completely wrong. So I decided, well, I'll post what they should have said, what I want to say to that lawyer, but I can't because I'm being polite. So basically (laughs) it was me telling these lawyers on the other side of my deals, how they should handle these particular issues that I thought they got wrong. So it started that way, but people really appreciated it. And there was a lot of reception and it started dialogues about the points I was making. And so that continued and snowballed. People loved it. And then it turned into actually the book was the next step. I wrote a book collecting these LinkedIn tips and that did well. And people kept asking me for courses or training, and I decided Hmm. to turn it into that. People love LinkedIn. Everybody's on LinkedIn now. What's interesting to me, though, is that uh, something you just said. So you started this business, and you kept practicing law. Like most people I talk to are like, law practice, I'm going to start a new business. I can never fucking do that again. (laughs) So how are you balancing that, and why did you decide to continue practicing, even as you launched this new company? Yeah, well, I've always loved being a contracts lawyer. And I think Oh, you're part the of, one. Great. Yeah, exactly. The only one. <laughs> but I do. And, and I think that's why people like the cartoons, because I am a practicing lawyer. And I remember, I, you know, so I post a cartoon with each post. I talk about real world in the posts. It's not an academic approach. It's really, you know, when you're stuck in a negotiation with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, here's some tips. And so practicing law actually helps me do that better. And it also keeps my life balanced. I think whenever I try to do all of one thing, I tend to get bored and uh, get sick of it. So this way, I'm sick of both at the same time. Uh, (laughs) Well played. It's working. (laughs) 
yeah, talk to me about the cartoons. Like, are you like drawing cartoons yourself, reposting other people's cartoons? Like, and what caused you to do it that way? Like, that's yeah. interesting to me. Yeah, no, I started, I, I was doing it myself. So I started by just having stupid stock photo cartoons or pictures. Actually, I started with pictures and just like a picture of a warehouse, a picture of a dog in a field smiling, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I started doing little charts and I'd write a provision and then color it in and do pretty things that way. And those were all fine. But then I started uh, using Canva to create little stick figures that kind of represented what I was doing. So Mm. it would be a man who was sad or, you know, a man handing something to somebody else to signify we're signing a contract, just simplistic, boring. And then I started adding speech bubbles and creating more elaborate cartoons. And what I do is I take the drawings from a particular artist and he has a ton of them and then I've learned to cut and paste within Canva to Mm. create I take from different cartoons and I add the points together so if I did one recently it was Marie Antoinette talking about let them have their cake and remedies too um and so I but I couldn't lawyer joke exactly exactly and I couldn't find a good historical French 17th, 18th century woman cartoon, surprisingly, (laughs) I know. So I took a cartoon with a beehive, and then I just kind of colored it in and put it on top of her head. And that was my Marie Antoinette. So You're like the Bob Ross of contract law. (laughs) I'm already feeling soothed. All right, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about is you kind of have taken this in a different direction than a lot of people do right now, because the way you see a lot of these companies coming into legal, they're like, okay, we're going to take the lawyer out of the contract. We're going to build some AI functionality so that you don't have to do as much as you did before. But you've taken kind of a different approach where you're like, I want to teach lawyers how to do better contracts on their own. So what do you feel? And A, was that intentional? And B, what do you feel is like the lawyer's place in contract drafting in the modern world? Yeah. No, I, I, it was intentional. I'm a huge believer in the lawyer's role. I think it's it's almost silly to think that there won't be lawyers in contract negotiations. Maybe agree, not every, yeah. yeah, not every contract needs a lawyer, but what I talk about, the biggest but thing. But every lawyer mind, needs a contract. You can keep that one. Go ahead. <laughs> so I approach it from the idea of the lawyer is the one who is supposed to be looking at the big picture. They know the law, they know the client. They know the corporation's risk tolerances. They know the corporation's privacy policy. They know the finance department's needs for revenue recognition. They know a million different things. And then they combine it all to give advice on contracts for the clients. Mm -hmm. So that role, to me, that's the role of the lawyer, is the one who knows a lot of stuff and brings it to bear for this particular deal to make sure it's compliant with the operational needs, the business needs, the finance needs, everybody's needs. So that doesn't go away. And you can't really replace it with AI. I'm sure AI, you can feed in different inputs and it can kind of get you there, but there's too many human elements to 
the world today, and hopefully it stays that way. <laughs> I really don't want to live in the Terminator days. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Tony Stark may have something to say about this, but <laughs> they did destroy the world like 18 times. So, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, then if that happens, we don't need lawyers. But until right, right, that we're good. day, <laughs> until that time, I just think there is an important role for lawyers, but it's not operating mechanically with a provision out of a book that you pick up and drop in your contract. It's, I got to get this deal done. Yeah, there's a risk because this language sucks, but let's leave it alone because the risk isn't that big. But this other provision, huge, let's fix that. That's the lawyer's role. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. There's going to be that higher level work that lawyers are always going to be able to do. I think so, too. Let's turn this around a little bit and talk about the lawyers themselves more specifically. So what kind of common errors do you see attorneys making in terms of contract drafting and how do you fix those? I assume that's part of the whole process of teaching them to draft better contracts. Yeah, I think it, it is. And so the biggest mistake I see people make is saying things more than once, the same thing in different places in the contract. Mm. Complete disaster. Because when you say things more than once, now, instead of just being silent on an issue and letting people try and figure it out, now you have to figure out which version is correct. And how do you marry these two versions into one outcome? So it, it creates problems, not only if it goes to court or an arbitrator, but also for the business people, because they don't know what they're supposed to do. And they each now are fighting over something different. So that's one of the biggest mistakes. The other one is lawyers set themselves up for failure when they make contracts too complicated. So I'm a huge believer in simplifying less words, simpler sentences, less complexity where you've got every section referring to another section and it just creates a big mess. You know, think of watch Jane run, you know, little simple sentences as your mm-hmm. core structure and then building what you need to around that. I think that helps lawyers avoid those mistakes. Okay. So we talked about mistakes. Let's turn it around and talk about what's the number one thing that lawyers should improve in terms of contract drafting. I believe it's learning how to apply the law, how the law applies in particular circumstances. So for example, a lot of lawyers work on intellectual property licenses and they'll Mm -hmm. see a section with license terms, but they don't know the intellectual property laws behind it. For example, copyright law, there's five rights that a copyright owner has, but a lot of lawyers don't know what those are. And, but Mm -hmm. you need to know what those are if you're going to draft a proper intellectual property license. I describe it as you have to learn the trick to do the magic. You have to understand what's behind the provision in order to draft it properly. And not just the case law in one jurisdiction. It's really conceptually at a broader level. How does this work? What part does it play in the relationship? And where does it go wrong? So it's a combination of a lot of different factors, but that's the best thing lawyers can do to improve their contract drafting is really go behind the provisions and understand them. Houdini would be proud if he were alive. (laughs) Now, I I think I saw online that you guys had a conference this year, right? Yeah. How did that go? Did you do it live or? We, it originally was planned live in Austin. It started as an excuse to get all my friends on LinkedIn together to come to Austin. Austin's amazing. I love Austin. It is. I love Austin too. And we've got great tacos. We've got great barbecue and margaritas. And so uh, over the time that I'd been on LinkedIn, I'd met so many people online, but didn't know them in real life. 
So it started as a big party, but then with COVID and it pro- you should stop right there. Big party, right? No, go ahead. <laughs> it would have been great. I'm still looking forward to it at some point. But yeah, with COVID expanding, and I decided yeah, you it was went just, online for that one. We went online, which was the right decision because it was the second week of uh, January yeah. when COVID was hitting hard. So. Mm-hmm. Went online. It was our first conference. We had eight hours of lawyers each talking for 30 minutes about a provision or an operational issue like limits of liability or how to draft a statement of work, real fundamentals. But what I loved was most of the attendees were actually six years or more in hmm. of practice experience with contracts. So it really was a great overview, but done by sophisticated lawyers. So everybody provided all these insights that we don't usually get when we talk about fundamentals. Right. And to the layperson, they're probably like, oh my God, hours of contract provisions? That sounds like my nightmare. But it's actually like the lawyer's dream. It is because you do this stuff every day. Right. And like I said, you have to understand that trick behind the um, behind the provisions, but nobody explains it to you. You might have heard it once when you were a first year, second year, be forgotten. So now you're a fifth year or sixth year and you're suddenly com- doing commercial contracts. You're right. like, uh, what am I supposed to do here again? <laughs> so that's what I really try and teach is for those a lot of I teach a lot of laterals and a lot of lawyers who mm. came from litigation and are now commercial contracts lawyers, or for whatever reason, they're picking up commercial contracts later in their career. And so they know the law, but they just don't know it how it works in this little world of commercial contracts. So that's what I'm trying to explain. Right. Next time you have the conference, you got to invite me down. I love going to Austin and impressing the Uber drivers with my knowledge of bluegrass music. So I'm ready Very for a trip nice. to Austin at any Very point. Good. I got one more question for you. I know you sure. worked for Tesla previously, right? Yes. Do you get a free car if you go work for Tesla? Because I'm considering it. I wish. I wish. No, but we did get first in line when the Model 3 came out because I was oh, there nice. when that came out. And it's an ingenious strategy because if anything goes wrong with the first production cars, the employees have the first ones. Right. So we're not going to go complain to the New York Times about our Tesla not working right. So it was a great strategy. And it's, uh, you know, they quickly resolved any of the initial issues with the uh, first deliveries uh, before it reached the public. Nice. All right, Laura, thanks for taking the time. You've had a really interesting career. Sounds like things are taking off without a contract. That's great. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we'll take one final sponsor break, as we usually do, so that you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. 
That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Welcome to the rear end of the Legal Toolkit. That's right. It's the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. So this seems like an appropriate time to introduce today's contestant, Jane Cahook, who works with Laura at How to Contract. Jane is one of the kindest and sweetest people in the legal industry, so I'm happy to have her on the show. Jane, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Wow, thank you so much. Uh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So you're a regular listener of the show, which I really appreciate. And hopefully that will continue after this segment is over with. <laughs> so I got something new for you today. New to the show. We've never done this before. And really, it's a shameless attempt to get people to listen to our show archives. So I hope Evan, our producer, likes this. So I wanted to ask you legal toolkit trivia. On one level, this is horrible. On another level, it's absolutely terrible. But let's go get those downloads. Jane, are you ready to play? Okay, let's play. <laughs> you sound ready. Maybe a little nervous. All right, I'm going to ask yeah, you five questions about our show, and we'll see how you do. If you get stuck, you give me a pass, and I'll give you multiple choice. Okay. Here we go. The last episode for which we did a rump roast, which came out today, the day we're recording, I let the guest host this section and quiz me. I answered questions in a specific trivia category. What trivia questions was I asked? Mm, I'm sorry, Baz. Okay. I'm going to give you a choice. It was TV trivia, and I was asked either questions about Gunsmoke, The Simpsons, or Friends. Uh, the Simpsons? Yes. You got it. <laughs> cool. I'm going to give you that one. We had Joe Patrice on from Above the Law, also a host on Legal Talk Network, asked mm -hmm. me questions about The Simpsons. I was terrible, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Question number two. Who was my first guest when we rebooted the show? I know that you've been on air for over a decade. But oh, I'm okay. Not sure. Bonus points for that. Yeah, I've researched you thoroughly, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm... I can't answer this question. All right, I'm going to give you this one. It was Guy Sakalakis from Attorney Sink. Oh. Also, who's great, right? Guy's yeah. awesome. But also a host on Legal Talk Network who has a podcast called Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Mm -hmm. Boy, I'm stepping in this pretty hard right now. Okay, question number three. Who was the subject of the second music playlist I created for our rebooted show? 
when the guest was Megan Hargroder Graham. And I'm going to give you multiple choice here. Okay. Was it, was it a collection of Tom Petty songs, Phil Collins songs, or James Taylor songs? I would go with James Taylor. Oh, that's a great guess, but it was Tom Petty. However, bonus points because James Taylor is my favorite singer of all yeah, time. Yeah, that's why I was going for him. <laughs> yeah, see, you know me pretty well. I just, uh, I'm waiting on the James Taylor episode. That's going to be a very emotional one for me. So I need to mentally prepare for it. It'll, it'll come though. All right. Now you said that you did some researches into the back channels of the show. So let me ask you this. What was the subject that we covered in our first episode ever of this podcast? And what year was it released? I will give you multiple choice here as well. Mm-hmm. Subject matter, IOLTA accounting, data security, or intake? I'd go with intake. Oh, good guess. But it was data security. Okay. This actually started out as a data security podcast, believe it or not. And we've taken it in very different directions. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the first episode we had, was it 2009, 2008, mm-hmm. or, or 2007? Uh, 2009. Yes. Very good. That I know. Okay. You're, you're doing pretty well here. All right. I got the last question for you. You've heard career family stories, which we do on the show from time to time. Mm-hmm. Which one of my family members had sex on a pool table that my father, brother, and I then almost played on? And since I didn't use her name, her relationship to me is an appropriate answer. Which of my relatives did that? Uh, I'm really, really scared. Aunt, uncle, cousin. <laughs> um, I'd say aunt. Yes, correct. And that's only one of the tamer family stories I have. <laughs> hey, you did a great job. I think you got like 60%. Not bad at all. Thank you. Yeah, you've been on air for so long. <laughs> so. I know. I'm really old, and we have a lot of back episodes, but I'm just trying to get people to listen to the archives. <laughs> Jane, thanks for coming on. Thanks for alerting me to Laura and having her on. I thought this was a great episode. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you want to find out more about Laura Frederick and Jane Cook and how to contract, visit howtocontract.com. That was easy. Now, for those of you listening in Big Tussle, Texas, we've got a new Spotify playlist that's going to knock your socks right off your feet. Since we discussed the precious healer family today, I've got a playlist filled with songs about animals. Unfortunately, Evan didn't even write a joke for me for this episode because he's a lazy fuck. So I've got nothing left, and that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jared Career reminding you that flocks of ravens are referred to as an unkindness or a conspiracy. Quoth the raven? That's pretty messed up. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, 
client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.